Hello. Hello. And welcome to another episode of Tacos and Tequila. I'm Peyton. I'm Sydney. And we have a wild ride of a case for you today. The crazy train. It is a crazy train. And <laughs> I feel like there aren't a lot of answers and there's way more questions and than anything, I think, personally. Literally so many questions. There's so I'm so really many, happy you brought that there up. There are a lot of gaps in this story that I am very concerned about. A lot of unanswered questions. It's not good for my head. Same. Uh, any updates, anything you want to get into before we dive into it? I don't think so, or nothing that I'm thinking of currently. I'm sure we've talked about something this week, but I don't remember what. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I can't remember anything that might (laughs) pertain to what we might want to talk about on here. (laughs) Yes. I don't don't think there's any, like, big true crime stories that I want to, that I've been, like, swallowed whole and engulfed in lately. No, not really. Me either. A lot of local stuff, but nothing like that I feel like anyone else would care about. (laughs) So, no, it's a no for me. Okay, well, that's fine. We can always touch base again for the next episode. (laughs) Perfect. Uh, I do want to give a quick shout out before we dive into this episode. I've had this case on my list probably since a couple weeks of us starting the podcast. Yes. Um, (laughs) I've had it on the list for a while now, and it was suggested by my dad's fiance, Rena. I had never heard of this case And I had read, she had sent me an article and was like, have you ever heard of this? Like, I never knew about this. And I was fascinated. But I felt like I had to, I don't know, it had to be the right time to dive into a case like this, I think. Sure. I get that. I get that. It can be like a lot. Save the moment. (laughs) Save the moment. Yeah. And I wanted to make sure I could dedicate the time. Uh, and of course I had this on the list and my life got a little hectic, but I made time. So, and I think I'm glad I'm finally, we're finally covering this. Yes. Shout out Rena MVP. (laughs) Um, well that is all I have. So I guess I will dive right into it. There are a lot of major serial killers from history that people interested in true crime know easily. Dahmer, Gacy, Bundy, and so on. However, according to the FBI, there are anywhere from 30 to 50 active serial killers in the U.S. at any given time. This means there are plenty more throughout history we have never heard of or know nothing about, and even some that have been forgotten. One that was forgotten and not covered very thoroughly at all has, in the last couple years, gotten a renewed interest And that was the case known as the doodler. I'm hopefully going to say that right because I feel like it's an easy word (laughs) to mess up personally. But the doodler, sometimes also known as the not very politically correct black doodler. I did want to include that though because from the times, it is what they were called sometimes. It's an... 
This person, he's an unidentified serial killer from the San Francisco area in California. He's responsible for anywhere from six to 16 murders and three assaults of men from January 1974 through September 1975. I thought that time frame is very interesting, too, because (laughs) there were a lot of big serial killers in the 70s and 80s. Uh, yes. That's a Dahmer, Gacy, Bundy. <laughs> they're, mm-hmm. uh, they're all people I mentioned. And then the co-ed killer, like <laughs> we had, a, there's another serial killer on my list, but based in Michigan, very similar to the co-ed killer in the seventies. Like there were, I think so many that got so much like widespread attention <laughs> See, like, and, honestly, like, where all the, the mainstream serial killers, like, those big names are all in, like, the 70s and yes. 80s. Even Richard Ramirez was the 80s. Mm-hmm. The Golden State Killer, 70s and 80s. So, the Zodiac. <laughs> I know. that's. I'm, like, sitting here thinking. I'm, like, I, I can't think of anything under pressure. But there's so many that are, like, during yeah. that time span. <laughs> and it's, it's kind of mind-blowing that... This was not really covered in the media at all. <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll get into a lot of theories on why. <laughs> um, but it was just, it's really interesting that it's just another serial killer from that time frame that went unnoticed, I guess, uh, or unidentified. And that's very unfortunate. It is unclear the exact number of victims. I think that's very common, though, in serial killer cases. Again, I mentioned Dahmer. He talked a lot, and he was very forthcoming and very open. So, like, he, Jeffrey Dahmer, someone we know, like, okay, he killed X amount of people. And you know what I mean? Like, we know the details. He was very forthcoming about that information. But then you look at cases like Ted Bundy, and we will never know his real number of victims. (laughs) And I think that's very common when they're caught, let alone when they're not caught. We can't, we just, you just kind of have to attribute what you can. The reason he was nicknamed the doodler was because he had a habit of sketching his victims prior to their original sexual encounters and their attacks. He also had told one of the assault survivors that he worked as a cartoonist. Another person had said he had made comments like he was going to school for that and like he would draw character characters. <laughs> but I'm that's where we're at <laughs> with that, I guess. Usually the perpetrator would find and meet his victim at gay nightclubs, bars, or restaurants. Police theorized that all the victims would meet with the killer at locations not far from where their bodies would be found. All the victims would be stabbed in the front and back of their bodies in similar locations, except one, which we'll get into. (laughs) And all of the victims fit a specific profile, which was white gay men. And they were in a, for the most part, certain age demographic. Again, we'll get into that, but... Killer was described as a black man between the ages of 19 and 25, roughly six feet tall, give or take, and had a slender build. 
In the beginning of the investigation, police believe there could have been three different killers on the loose committing all these crimes. That's another reason they actually don't really know the number of victims for this serial killer. Statistics were wild, and I don't know if you saw anything on this, Sid, but the murders and homicide rates on gay men in this time period in this area was just like growing steadily. At one point, at the end of this little uh, doodler's reign, there was like 20 plus unsolved gay men homicides, and just in that little area in San Francisco. And so they firmly believe there could have been multiple serial killers targeting these victims in that area or, you know, maybe spree killers or whatever it was. So it's really hard to attribute what was for sure the doodler. There are six victims confirmed that police attribute, and that's the six we will get into. The first victim of the doodler is believed to be Gerald Cavanaugh. He was a Canadian-American immigrant at the age of 49 who was working as a furniture finisher at the time. Gerald would be found on January 24, 1974, fully clothed and lying face up on Ocean Beach in the early morning hours. He had died only hours before being stabbed to death. During the autopsy, it was determined Gerald had been conscious while he was being murdered, and he even resisted and tried to fight due to the obvious self-defense wounds present. Originally, Gerald was not identified either. He was known as John Doe Number 7 by the medical examiner until he would be identified, and very few things are known about his personal life even still to this day. I will say that's like a very common theme, too. Uh, Without the lack of media attention, a lot of these victim stories weren't told thoroughly at the beginning. And there's not a ton of open information about this case that you can easily access due to that lack of coverage (laughs) at the time. Uh, Again, we'll get into that a little more later, but I just want to preface that because Some of these victims' profiles that I'll go into are a little shorter. Another victim attributed to the doodler, the second victim, is Joseph Stevens, who is known as Jay. Jay was found on June 25, 1974, at Spreckles Lake in Golden Golden Gate State Park by a woman going for a walk. At the time of his death, Jay was 27 and worked as a comedian and a female impersonator. He had been murdered only the night before, as he had been seen that night leaving the Cabaret Club on Montgomery Street in the North Beach neighborhood. Jay had been stabbed three times, and there was blood found in his mouth and his nose. It's believed that Jay arrived at the lake with the killer, who murdered him there, but that was really all the police had to go on. Only a couple short weeks later, Klaus Christman, a 31-year-old German immigrant, would be discovered at Ocean Beach, just like the first victim. A lot of the victims were found on beaches, if not all of them, actually. (laughs) So that's, like, also something to attribute, like, kind of private, secluded beach, lake, waterfront areas. 
Kloss was found on July 7th, 1974, by a woman walking her dog, again fully clothed. It was a particularly violent case, violent attack this time. There were quite a few more stab wounds than the other two victims, 15 at least, and his throat was slashed at least three separate times. It was an interesting situation for this case because Klaus was married with kids back home in Germany, unlike the first two victims. It is believed due to belongings found on him that he was a closeted gay man and he was in embracing and enjoying his sexual encounters and gay lifestyle in San Francisco while there without his family. Just like the first victim, he was unidentified for a short period of time while police investigated these murders. After this, with Kloss, they did believe all three of these cases were connected, but that's really it. Again, no real media coverage. He would have eventually be identified and sent home to Germany to be buried. And there were a couple, like, short blurbs in the newspapers at this time kind of covering, you know, a body found in the park and things like that. But that was really it. There would then be a period of no confirmed murders. It was definitely, you know, like I had mentioned, other murders in the area, and some could have been the doodler, but there are six that investigators believe are confirmed to be the same perpetrator. So, Kloss was murdered in July of 74. In April of 1975, Warren Andrews was attacked in Land's End, a park in the Golden Gate Recreation Area. He was assaulted and found unconscious on April 27th, dying several weeks later after never regaining consciousness. At the time of his death, he was 52 and a lawyer for the U.S. Post Office. Interesting enough, this was not initially attributed to the doodler. Warren was not stabbed. He was bludgeoned by a rock, which is the only exception in this case. Investigators actually in January of this year, 2022, would determine and say that he was the fourth victim of the serial killer. They believe the reason he's linked was the proximity to the other bodies found at the time, his victim profile, and the timeline of murders and attacks. But that's really all they have to go on. The fifth victim, Frederick Kappen, I think I said that right would be found on May 12, 1975, on a beach behind sand dunes by a hiker. Frederick was 32 at the time of his murder, and he was working in the state as a nurse. He had previously served in the U.S. Navy, even earning medals during the Vietnam War. Just like the other victims, Frederick was stabbed to death and had strikes to both his aorta and his heart. Based off the sand disturbance around Frederick's body, it was believed he was dragged roughly 20 feet and placed where he was found, perhaps on purpose, almost staged. The final confirmed victim of the doodler would be Harold Goldberg. He was a Swedish immigrant, and he was 66 at the time his body was found on June 4th, 1975. 
When Harold was found in Lincoln Park, his body was already decomposing, and through an autopsy, it was determined he had died roughly two weeks prior. However, the exact date is unknown. Just as two prior victims, he was known as a John Doe until identified as well. But the interesting part about Harold is that he doesn't necessarily fit the previous profile of the victims that the killer targeted. He was quite older than the other victims. And although he was found fully clothed, his underwear had been taken and his pants were unzipped, which was very uncommon. (laughs) Uh, All victims were attacked, found fully clothed. And it seemed almost like after a sexual encounter had occurred, this is when the attack happened. It's believed Harold was the last victim of the doodler. And after that, the killings just stopped. There were three survivors of this perpetrator. In fact, these three men pointed the police in the direction of a young man who fit the profile. And he was questioned as a murder suspect as well. But those three surviving victims were all closeted and not openly gay. So they did not want to testify in court. And without their testimony, there's real, really no evidence connecting to this suspect. Fun fact, two of the survivors were described as a well-known entertainer, and that was in air quotes, and a European diplomat. So... They were, like, well-known in the area, supposedly, and, like, that could be very problematic coming forward. Which is really surprising, I want to chime in and say. Like, I was, like, really very surprised to read that and see, like, that they, nope, like, they still weren't willing to come forward. I guess, like, I, I get the reasoning behind it, like, the personal reasonings, but at the same time, like, I don't know. Or even that the police didn't just force them to come forward. Like, you can subpoena people. It's not that you have to go willingly in all cases. So, I can understand. So, here's... I get, I get that, but I, <laughs> it's very surprising. Like, I feel like there's, there's definitely ways around it, especially if there's three people. Okay, so... I read, like, a lot of articles that I didn't include in sources because they didn't really talk about the case, any more details. It was just more about, like, the time period, which, again, is interesting, but I knew a lot of it. And a lot of what was emphasized is, one, this was, like, a hotbed for, you know, gay men in the 70s, and it was, you know, a lively area. However, just the year before, it was... Previously, in like, I think it was up to 1973, homosexuality was declared a mental illness. So it had just, like, not been declared a mental illness, you know what I mean? And it was reverted. And then in this time period, sodomy laws were still on the books. And so gay men were still being arrested for being gay, technically. You could still be arrested. Uh, I read a lot about, like, entrapment cases with police officers in parks and, like, trying to entrap gay men literally for being gay. 
But if the police already knew who these victims were, or, like, who these men were, like, I feel like that doesn't really, like, matter much. So, I, just I guess like yes they- and no, but I guess if they weren't openly, like, Yay. they weren't out, they didn't want yeah. it to affect, like, their view, like, who, how people viewed them in society. They didn't want it to affect their jobs, and... I guess I'm just surprised it's something that wasn't, like, pressured harder, where the police were like, no, like, this is, like, your only option, or, like, we need a statement, or, like, we need something, like, that they were just, there's six to 16 people, and that they were willing to just let it go. A hundred percent, and that is what's surprising to me, is they were just willing to let it go. I guess police and investigators at the time, I mean, they're very convinced that the suspect was who it was. Uh, the, the suspect, the men kind of pointed, all three survivors had pointed the police to, cooperated with police by all accounts during multiple interviews, but would never admit any guilt or like for the murders or the attacks. They did believe at the time he was the person responsible, but they, the suspect's never been publicly named or arrested. They also supposedly interviewed, this person had a history of mental health issues, and they interviewed their psychiatrist, which anyone and anyone who knows anything about mental health knows <laughs> a couple things. One, a psychiatrist can't legally tell police anything um, about sessions, and supposedly one of the things that they said was that this person was the suspect identified as a straight man, but did struggle with his sexuality, uh, which could be fitting to the the serial killer profile, I guess. And then there was another thing that supposedly the psychiatrist told the police when they interviewed that this person confessed to one of the murders. But here's another thing. <laughs> if you confess to a murder in your therapist appointment, your therapist still has a legal obligation then. Like, so I'm really confused by this information. <laughs> like, they should have came out with it then? Not. Yes. So, yeah. if you are considered a harm to yourself or others, you have, like, as a therapist, you have a legal obligation to report that. Yeah. Um, I understand that there are some things pertaining to crimes you can't legally say, but you do have a legal obligation to report that. (laughs) So I guess I'm just really confused how that would work if you didn't say anything and then the police come questioning you, you know, more than a year later and you're like, oh, hey, by the way, yeah, that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah, that's yeah, that doesn't really work like that. Correct. So I don't really know how I feel about all this information. And it's a lot of conflicting information. You know, the media didn't really cover this at the time. And in fact, most of the homicides on gay men in the area weren't covered in the media until, you know, like 75, 76, they started being reported on a little bit. And there was like an uproar. Uh, about this information being reported in the news. They didn't, they thought it was salacious details and, you know, the public thought it was unnecessary information. 
which is silly to me, but okay. Extremely silly. Like, just things that they don't want to read about. Correct. That's literally what it was. And then, you know, people who were in the the gay scene at the time were getting upset. Like, oh, well, this could affect my business. Like, if you ran a gay bar or something like that. So, they also didn't love it being reported, which is just so weird to me. Again, that suspect's never been publicly named or arrested. So, I do think that's really interesting because other things have come out. In 1977, two potential suspects were arrested in Riverside County and questioned for roughly 28 other murders that occurred after homosexual encounters. That's in quotes. Uh, Nothing came of that either. Those suspects were also never identified, but that just goes to show how frequent murders on gay men were in the area. That was 28 other murders. (laughs) Like, I a lot of mind blowing that it's not being a lot of freaking people. Yes, a lot. And it never got the news and media coverage it deserved. And the victims never got, like, you know, their information out there that they deserved because of the type of people they were and the time. Yeah, Which I is guess. just gross to me. I guess we can also compare it to, you know, other serial killers who targeted women that were sex workers or things like that, you know, transient women or things like that, that people won't miss. And there were a lot of serial killers who did that and got away with it for a long, long periods of time. God, who's that guy? The guy in Alaska. (laughs) Ooh, I I can picture the movie. There is a movie. I can picture the movie. It's with, um, Vanessa and Hutchinson. Yes. Yes, Vanessa Hutchins in that movie. I love that movie. <laughs> it's a good movie. Um, Robert Hansen is one of them. You know, he ta- targeted sex workers and women in Alaska like that and got away with it for a while. There were one there've been ones all over the country and those women didn't get their stories told or like it wasn't being covered and same thing. Just like the demographic of people it was identifying. I don't know. It just it's, it's also very upsetting to me. <laughs> It's also, like, the the belief that, like, there's no, like, those people don't get reported missing almost. Like, no one, they don't have a family right. or, like, anyone. So, like, no one's going to go look for them. Like, I feel like that's the issue with well, a lot of those cases. Well, you can look at even Jeffrey Dahmer, because I'm going to go back to this. You and I both <laughs> know a lot on Jeffrey Dahmer. So, yes. this is my easy go-to one. Jeffrey Dahmer targeted gay men and gay minority men. And so a lot of times they weren't reported missing immediately um, or they were hitchhiking or, you know what I mean? Or there are transplants to the area or whatever it might have been. I think the first, his first victim was a white man and that was it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was a belief that was that what he was sexually attracted to? Obviously. Yes. And so, um, and you think of, that at that time in the 70s and 80s and the, or and the stigma uh of like gay men in that time period and that's how the police like didn't really want to intervene <laughs> so there is a lot of belief in this case the police didn't investigate thoroughly the way they should have they didn't follow up i mean 
you mentioned how the police didn't push harder in these victims and or the survivors and i can understand on one hand but also if you have three assault victims coming forward yeah. and you think this man is responsible for six other murders what are you doing about it <laughs> are you following him are you you know what i mean like yeah i guess i guess that there's just there's a lot of like and i'm not saying that the only way for that to get out there would be to you know push these victims into something else just feel like you would think that if you had these three people the three survivors like that there would be a way to do something else with it like follow this guy around like get more information and like that something would have came it came of it like sometime down the road yes maybe not immediately Here's my next few bulletins about some recent activity on the case because I'm going off of exactly what you just said. So in May of 2018, the case was considered open and ongoing by the San Francisco Police Department due to all the recent, you know, successes of starting to solve cold cases in 2018 and 2017 with DNA advances. The case was being reexamined. A year later, February of 2019, police officially offered a $100,000 reward for any information leading to the arrest of the serial killer. And they also released an updated sketch showing potential age progression from the last 40 years. They believed he would now be in his late 60s or early 70s if still alive. It was decided that they would consider forensic genetic genealogy testing just like in the Golden State Killer murders, but no new advancements have been made at the time. And then in January of this year, when confirmed about the sixth victim, Warren Andrews, police also increased the reward offered to $200,000, so they doubled it. What's interesting to me is if you have a name of a potential suspect that police investigated initially, where those investigators were convinced this man was linked to it. How has genetic testing not provided any information to close this case? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure, like, okay, <laughs> I know you hate genetic testing. Come <laughs> uh, so, like, you know, anyone, my direct siblings, have we done the genetic testing? No. I know I might have a cousin or a second cousin who have done it. That's a hit, though. That's a partial hit of DNA. And then you start, the investigators start building a tree off of that. Now, yeah. realistically, if they started it in January, do they know yet? Probably not. They might have a narrowed down option, though, and that's why we might not have an update. It took mm-hmm. like a a good year, year and a half to build the family tree of the Golden State Killer, track every, like rule out suspects, track everyone down that they thought could be potential suspects, collect and cross-reference DNA somehow. Like it took a while. <laughs> so, I mean, I guess realistically, could they still be working on it and we might have answers? Yeah. And I, I don't think that's too far-fetched because I do feel like a lot of those, like the genetic te- genetic testings or like any sort of testing, like it takes so much time and these police or like these entities, like they don't want to release anything because if the wrong piece of information gets out, then that's when that person's gone forever or X, Y, Z. Like, I feel like they don't say anything until they're like for sure about everything nowadays. 
Yeah. So I can definitely understand that. I guess I'm just like, we don't know. There's so many more questions. Like I said, we don't know if any DNA was collected. And if there was, what was collected? How many victims was DNA collected off of? Was it just one or was it all of them had DNA? I don't, I have no idea. (laughs) Well, I guess that was kind of my assumption. Like if you're linking all of these people together, so you know that the same serial killer killed this many people it in my head it had to have been like a dna link because otherwise we're just comparing like that they had the similar mo well, and that's that's what i'm thinking with in january of this year them announcing the sixth victim and how this person they have now decided is linked to that case i guess i mean he doesn't fit like stabbing they've all died by stabbing and this victim was bludgeoned by a Mm -hmm. rock that doesn't necessarily fit even if it was just an area at the time and he was a white man in the same age group it doesn't mean (laughs) it could be an outlier but then you have the last victim harold who was 66 and way older than any of the other victims he wasn't in that age group yeah so it's very interesting to me that they're all linked and we don't necessarily know why Uh, I will say one article claimed that the killer would leave his sketches behind at crime scenes, but it's important to note that none of these sketches have ever been released to the public, and if they were kept as evidence, little is known about them. So maybe that's part of it. Maybe there were sketches found on victims, and that's why some of them are 100% confirmed. I have no idea. See, that's another thing that's, like, weird to me, because it's, like, then you would think that they wouldn't, I guess, I don't know, at least, like, recently, you would think that they wouldn't name them as, like, 100% from the same person. They would probably say that it's something, like, that there was, you know, similar identifications found at the scene, you know, that it might have been the same serial killer, or, like, they're under the belief, but I don't think they flat out be, like, we know that these six people, or whatever, however many it is, were killed by this guy, unless there was some sort of profile, Even if it was a small profile. That's what I'm kind of thinking. I will say, I have not listened to it, but there was a miniseries podcast done recently by the San Francisco Chronicle. Did you read anything about it? So I read a lot about it. I'm going to, I was hoping that I could start it this weekend. I didn't have time. So I'm going to start it this week. So maybe we could add that as an update. I literally, in my note, is I'll have an update shortly because I will be listening this week. It's just like a mini you know, what is it, 10 episodes or something like that, mm-hmm. uh, where they kind of go into the background and the investigation and each victim more and more about, like, the time period, the detectives, thorough, like, I mean, interviewed de- former detectives and investigators and things like that. So it, it does have pretty, like, decent reviews. And it also supposedly talks more about, like, you know, why normal people have never heard of this case the victims were all gay men or closeted gay men who were attacked apparently just for being gay and at the time like i said sodomy laws were still in the books and being gay was still not acceptable in most of society at the time and they didn't want to be affected and so it's believed a lot of like i said the media and the investigation was reflected on that or reflected due to that and how investigators treated everything and it's it's looked very interesting it sounds very interesting I will be giving it a listen (laughs) for sure so uh 
I'm sure we'll have an update on our next episode about it. Yes, it sounded, like, based on what I read, very good. Like, I was super intrigued. Because it it did seem to have, I guess, some ideas to these unanswered questions, like, that we can't, or we don't know the answer to, so. I mean, it looked like they investigated and interviewed the victims' families that were left and, like, things like that, which is just very impressive. Mm Mm-hmm. So, I am super excited (laughs) to listen like you. I just, I didn't have the time this week. That's how you know how busy I was. I literally didn't listen to any true crime episode, podcast episodes this week. Really? Yeah, usually I'll listen during work, but I couldn't. (laughs) I think I only listened to one podcast episode this week. But I I don't usually, we we talked about this before, I don't listen to a whole lot of true crime stuff. Sometimes I do, but it's going to be really good. I feel like I, I don't know, I've just avoided them since we started a true crime podcast. I have my reasons. I have, like, five or six regular, (laughs) regulars I listen to. Like, my uh, reality guilty pleasures. That's fair. (laughs) I need, yeah, I need to branch out, to be honest. I got, I have one you would like. We'll discuss after. Okay, cool. Um, And then the last thing I'll mention, um, very famous activist at the time Harvey Milk he actually did speak out about this case he was questioned and provided public empathy for the survivors who did not want to testify he made a comment that he believed roughly 20 to 25 percent of the gay men in San Francisco were not open about their sexuality and believed it could be harmful to their careers and their families by coming out at the time so he understood and empathized with them is what he said So I thought that was interesting because we talked about, you know, surprising they wouldn't, but that makes sense. And it times and I can't imagine how difficult it might have been. And I don't want it to be like that. I have a lack of sympathy. Like, why didn't you do that? You should have came out because that's not the case at all. Like, I can understand how difficult that could be. I guess I'm just surprised that there wasn't like some sort of. Like, they do where people come out, like, anonymously, so it's, like, only the police know who you are, or... So, I and I know. guess like, I feel like they do stuff like that. ...testifying in court, and they didn't want to publicly out themselves, and I can understand that. I think I'm really torn about it, because I'm not in that situation, right? So, I don't yeah. know how, yeah. I would do, how I would be. I want to think that I would wouldn't care if my life goes up in flames that I would want to get someone off the streets that is hurting and killing people who you know hurt me (laughs) and I that's what I want to think but at the same time you know think of a European diplomat you might lose your job you might lose yeah your, your home that they're covering you might be just your family might feel disgraced by you so then you return back to your home country and they want nothing to do with you I mean, it could. It be, might not even be your. It could be the whole country turns against you, and when you're in a position like that, yes. not even just your family. So it, I guess I can look at it as like, it could be so massively detrimental at that time. You know, is forty years ago, fifty years mm-hmm. ago. It's just it's hard to say because I'm, I wasn't there, and I'm not in that situation, so I don't know. True. And it is a hard comparison, I guess. I always, I do get caught up, I feel like, in some of those sometimes where it's like, well, in today's day and age, we can do this, that, and the other. Yep. But, like, <laughs> it was so different 
because I mean, we have all of these, even the unsolved cases that we have today, like they're all still looking into them now because the way that things were handled previously, they're able to reopen them now and, you know, get these individuals justice. It's just interesting how all of that plays out. I absolutely agree. Did you have anything else you wanted to add that I might have missed? No, I did. So this was kind of briefly mentioned. I guess I kind of want to just go back to it because I did find that little, like, the cartoonist piece and the doodler name really fascinating. Like, that he actually went forward and, like, if he was leaving these drawings or if he was telling you know, these other men that he was a cartoonist or, like, was in school for this. I just find that little tidbit, like, interesting. I feel like that's usually something that they leave out. And, okay, you didn't watch American Horror Stories or American Horror Story, but there was some of them, but not all of them. <laughs> there's a season, and, like, in the gay bars, there's a guy, well, he ends up being the one killed, but... <laughs> There is a guy who would sketch people in the bar, and it always was like a pickup. You know, he'd sit and drink and talk to people and sketch uh, them. And yes, so I thought that interesting. was really interesting, and I thought of that because you know it's a conversation starter. It is a conversation piece for sure. I just, I guess, if you're, I don't know. I guess I don't know. I just found it surprising that he gave a little piece of information out about himself. Yes. If it was true. Yes. A hundred percent. Like I said, there are a lot more questions I have than so answers many questions. on this case. And I, I think it does make me sad that there's so little information out there about this. Um, but I guess the statistics on serial killers, there's probably so many more that we don't know. Th- so many. There's literally so many. I mean... <laughs> my first uh, source is something I used about the statistics of the 30 to 50 active serial killers. It also broke down serial killer victims per 100,000 people oh in goodness. states, the total number of serial killer victims, the top 10 states with the highest total of victims. Don't worry, Wisconsin's not in there. Michigan is. <laughs> <laughs> which is wild Wisconsin people just don't get caught for a long time I mean I'm guessing you can you can guess the state with the number one highest total serial killer victims maybe California it is California <laughs> okay well I mean that's also like the biggest state though so you got to put that into correct to, like, well and then number two is Texas yeah and those are the two well. biggest states so obviously <laughs> Number three, Florida. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not surprised. And then I'll just round it out with number four, which is Illinois. <laughs> I was going to say Illinois is definitely in the top, like, five for this list. What's five? But you got to think of massive serial killers have been in Illinois, so. Yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, so I thought it was interesting. Michigan is number nine on that list. Towards so, that's sketch. Still made the list, though. <laughs> Still made the list. Still made the list. And the highest uh, per 100,000. Let me see. I think the numbers are skewed because it's by population. And so 
when I tell you, I'm just triple checking that I wrote this down right. Sorry. But when I tell you this, you're going to be like, well, that's weird. But it's by population. <laughs> and so the number one by population is Alaska. Mm, I feel like there is a lot of like stuff that happens, crazy shit that happens out there, though, that falls under the radar. Honestly, I don't know if I'm necessarily surprised by that one. So it says total serial killer victims like confirmed in the state of Alaska is only 51. Okay. But it's serial killer victims per 100,000 people. So they're just over 7%. So, yeah, I guess that makes sense. And the least percentage is Hawaii. (laughs) Well, Hawaii and New Hampshire are very close. Like the smallest fucking state. Yeah, Besides and Rhode Island. South Dakota's right there, too. So, they're all, like, less than 1%. <laughs> interesting. That is very interesting. Yep. So, I uh, thought that was interesting. Definitely, I have a couple more serial killers on lists. It's just, it's a lot to dive into them. It's a lot of research, cross-referencing, and I'm, I'm trying to cover ones that I've never heard of before. Yeah. Uh, a lot. I just said, you know, five to six regular (laughs) uh true crime podcasts that i rotate so they do cover a lot of big names but these are ones i've never heard of so hopefully you guys all learned something new today too i know i did (laughs) well i think that's all i have you got some jokes and facts (laughs) i do sweet let's go (laughs) let's go fact first Okay, so flu season's coming up here. If you want to stay healthy, you can sip on lime juice throughout the day. Um, It's a good source of vitamin C and antioxidants in limes that can strengthen your immune system. And it can even shorten the duration of an illness that you have. Interesting. I might have to test this theory out. They were saying, like, lime juice and water. So, like, basically, you should put limes in your water over lemons. But I think lemons help, too. Maybe I'll do, like, a slice of lemon and a slice of lime. I feel like when I used to work, like, in the, the service industry, a lot of people would do that. Really? I don't think that they were doing it for the antioxidants reasoning. But, yeah, like, to stay <laughs> hydrated, they'd put, like, lemons and limes. Interesting. I've had, I've had people ask, too, like, had customers ask, like, can I have limes instead of lemons? And I just thought that they were crazy. <laughs> well, now it makes sense. I mean, yeah, I guess you can. (laughs) Okay, hit me with a joke. Have you heard of the tequila diet? Nope. People have been making great progress. Some are even losing two days. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) I would lose two days and all my sanity. (laughs) I would probably lose a whole week, man, with that hangover. (laughs) That headache. Oh, yeah, I, I can't do tequila. It's funny because I no. don't mind tequila in, like, mixed shots, and I okay. like margaritas. So I don't, not def, never for shots, unless, like, that's the, like, it's forced upon me. Like, it's just in my hand, and I don't realize what I'm doing. <laughs> but in mixed, like, a margarita or, like, a mixed drink, I would do it. Really? But never for shot. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. There have not even a mix shot. shots. What are the big shots that have? And I'm, I'm looking it up because I don't remember. 
I just feel like I have a lot of friends that drink, like, take just tequila for a shot, and they'll be like, oh, Sid, I got you a tequila, and I'm like, you should have just not told me what it was. Just Like, I don't want this. Like, return it. Get me something else. (laughs) I want nothing to do with that. Occasionally, (laughs) I'll take it, but it's a rare occasion, okay? Very rare occasion. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, I'm looking up, and none of these are the shots that I... I'm thinking of. Does it, I, I, and I, I like about, not like, a tequila shot. sunrise. Oh my god. Yuck. <laughs> your sister sunrise used to, is okay. Your sister used to drink those all that's the time. Like a, that's like a vodka mimosa. <laughs> <laughs> that's one way. That's, that's one way to I, go about it. It's like a screwdriver. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. There was one that... Um, for years my friends would always want and I was like okay I can't but you know my go-to shot now well not now because I am (laughs) with child but green tea (laughs) yes and so many people talk crap about it we love a good green tea I literally saw a post the other day and it was like if you are still doing green tea shots grow up and I was like okay weird I like Jameson (laughs) I'm never gonna stop same or just a good old Jameson shot by itself. I think my mom likes tequila shots, which is also questionable. <laughs> I think she likes fireball tubers. That's simbury. She, she does like fireball. And Jaeger. Oh, this, yes. is, this is how you know. I'm <laughs> Not me. <laughs> I am sick to my stomach just thinking about that. I can't wait for a frozen mango margarita and ooh, some ooh. Tito's. That's what I'm looking forward to after giving birth. So... <laughs> Sounds great. And an angry orchard. I really, it's like getting to the time. Uh, the like best. Right now. So. Yes. I'm a little depressed about it, but you know, <laughs> you live and you learn, Peyton. <laughs> it's all right. I have enough for the both of us. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> well, folks, you can find us on Facebook at Tacos and Tequila Podcasts. On Instagram at just tacos and tequila. We also have a lovely website, tacos and tequila podcast.com, has links to all our episodes on Spotify, all our sources and summaries. Check out sources for this episode. There is a really good article, the all awl.com, in our sources referencing a bunch of news articles and it's like a former investigator or journalist that posted the article and interviewed investigators and all that so highly recommend that um and you can find our sources on that website get to it and if you're listening on apple Podcasts or spotify make sure you leave a rating and or review it helps us get noticed it's really cool to see what you guys like and it's really awesome overall agreed I think that's it. Are we missing anything? (laughs) No, I think that's everything. Awesome. Well, then, folks, we will talk to you all next week. Bye. Bye. Ha ha ha!